Thanks for calling the Q Hotline. This is Kevin Brittingham. This is your opportunity to tell us what you think. Q, Q products, what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong. Industry news, things you want to say, especially if you got something funny to say. You could have called anywhere in the world. You called us. We appreciate that. Good afternoon. My name is John Singer. I was just calling to say I absolutely love you guys' products. And I was wondering if you guys ever thought about getting into the 22 competition uh, game. I do NRL 22s and absolutely love it. And I would love to have a Q Custom 22 rifle. Y'all keep up the great work and catch y'all later. What the hell's up with that beeping? Oh. Anyways, hey, uh, you know this. We want a 308 battle rifle. All right, bye. Hello, so welcome to the drive-in series of podcasts. So this is going to be basically me driving into Q to work every day. Um, sometimes it's driving home or driving at lunch to go pick my kids up from school or whatever. But it's the drive-in series, so I'm doing it while I'm driving. Um which is kind of interesting because it just sometimes a random thing pops up in my head and it, it's just something I remember from the past or something about the industry or uh, if I get a question at night on social media and I want to answer it or expand on it beyond uh, the, the, the basic, you know, isolated response to an individual. Um, so that, that's, that's sort of what this is for. So the first one, this is going to be the story behind the fixed rifle. Um, then a talk about battle rifles. And the third one is, well, in that I call the SIG MCX the MSR, which is the Remington Modular Sniper Rifle. Um, so I'll make that mistake. So please don't worry about sending me any DMs. I'm going to make plenty of mistakes in these. And when we catch them in edits, I'll try to call it out ahead of time so you can look for it and laugh at me when you hear it. So take a listen. Hello, everyone. So... This is the story of the fix, as best I remember. Uh, so we'll back it up to about 2009, 2010. We, um, Remington buys my company, and we're working on the MSR, the Modular Sniper Rifle for SOCOM. Um, it's a really cool gun if any of you have seen it. If you've not, Google it. Uh, basically, it was Special Operations snipers wanted a new sniper rifle. And Accuracy International had done the chassis, their original gun. It's really cool. A little clamshell plastic design that, you know, screws to the aluminum bedding block and stuff for the Accuracy International rifles. Um, they wanted something improved that they could mount stuff to that would be rigid. They wanted... Um, the military wanted to be able to change calibers and barrels easily. They wanted a folding stock that was fully adjustable. They even wanted a dust cover on the gun, and that ends up being about the only thing it didn't get. Um, because it was a unit that had a lot of money, the receivers were actually titanium, and the guns were very expensive. So when you see them on the market now, they're like $20,000. There's a reason. Um, it didn't need to be titanium. The receivers could actually be aluminum, but because this unit had a lot of money, really used their weapons, they wanted it to last, they wanted to be certain, so it didn't really make a difference to them. So that's why they were titanium. 
They went to a 60 degree bolt throw, so a three log bolt, which was an improvement over the 700, which was a, is a two log bolt and a 90 degree throw. <coughs> Excuse me. And the problem with that is it gets in the way of your optics and you can't mount them as low and it's slow um, for chambering your next round and op just operating the gun in general. Um, so the gun ends up being a 338 Lapua Magnum, but they get <clears throat> excuse me, barrels for 301 mag, and there was a 308 conversion kit that was really for training. <coughs> excuse me. But the gun was still the, the gun was still big and heavy. Um, they needed an improvement from the 700 design because if you open up the 700 bolt face for 300 Lapua Magnum, and I don't know if I said Norma Mag earlier, but it's Lapua Magnum. Um, the, it's too thin, and the 700 wasn't really designed, even the long action, for something with as large of a case head as the uh, Lapua Magnum. So it's just a bad idea. Remington has made them, but the military was unwilling to accept them or even consider them for testing. So Remington had to design a new gun. So we decided to do barrel extensions like an AR, and that's what the fix has. So you could change the, you could headspace the barrels and all ahead of time, and you could change the barrels easily. I wanted uh, removable bolt heads, which the gun has and which the fix also has, so you could swap calibers and stuff easily if you needed to. Um, one dumb thing that was done with that gun, it uses Accuracy International magazines, and that's good and bad. Yeah, you know the Accuracy International mags are good, but then you have to rely on Accuracy International for um, production, which is bad. And then other people start making mags and they're lower quality and they suck. Um, and they used a 700 trigger, which is obviously anybody that's been around the industry for 10 years or more, you've seen all the lawsuits and on, you know, MSNBC and all this stuff. Um, that trigger is just terrible and needed, the gun should have had a different trigger in it. Uh, they did not do that. So that is one downside to that gun. And the other side is a tr it's downside to me would be it's a tr traditional action in the sense of, well, you, you get to have um, interchangeable barrels, so they're not threaded in. You have a barrel nut that kind of looks like an AR castle nut that holds the barrel in sort of like a savage. Um, but users could change the barrels. But not doing a one-piece receiver like the Tub 2000 rifle, if none of you have ever, or any of you have never seen that rifle, the Tub 2000, David Tub, that man can shoot. And he designed a gun, <coughs> excuse me, it's got some attributes um, that we like that we incorporated into the fix. The one-piece receiver, which the AR-7 originally had and the Tub 2000 rifle. Um, it's a really slick gun, but the gun's like six or $7,000. Um, the gun isn't durable in the sense of being able to really use it for hunting in harsh conditions or for a, um, you know, like a military application. But for someone target shooting and all, that gun is super cool. It uses SR-25 mags as well. Um, and then its stock attaches to the rear, and I think maybe the bolt slides in the stock too, so you can't have a folding stock. And then the, the, the barrel change is, is similar to an AR and not that difficult, which is pretty cool. Um, but the guns are low volume and pretty complex and are very expensive for a consumer market gun. So anyway, back to Remington. Once the military adopted this gun, I was very excited. At the time, you know, being an executive within Freedom Group, um, which was the parent company of Remington, 
I was pushing for us to replace the 700, and I wanted to use what we learned from the MSR rifle to develop basically what I pitched as a 700 for the next generation. Um, so we had been selling the 700, like 10 million had been sold at that point for 50 years or whatever. And what was going to be the next 50 year gun for Remington? Uh, but by this time, Bob Nardelli kind of became our CEO and all the R&D money dried up. And, you know, there were so many bad decisions within Freedom Group buying all these stupid companies, you know, Tapco and you know, Dakota Arms and all, just all these other things that didn't have a future <clears throat> or didn't fit, you know, and they were making decisions like moving Marlin out of the town had been in its entire life and uh, wanted to consolidate everything into one. And in some ways, I mean, I think from an operations standpoint, that could make sense. But from a culture standpoint, I mean, clearly they made bad decisions um, as, you know, the whole company is virtually worthless at this point. But um, I wanted to make this gun, like simplify it, lighten it up, and make it the commercial gun. We'd do the receivers out of aluminum. We would simplify the chassis, like the handguard and the chassis. That's, it's kind of, the handguard too had this, um, they had time certs pressed in them. And it's kind of the origin of the Q-cert that we did. And they went through a couple iterations with the military with this, we we're using Healy coils at first, then we used time certs and they would still pull out and the tolerances were very critical. So with Q-cert, we ended up developing a little anchor system where you press them in from the back so you can't pull them through. And it's the strongest, lightest, most simplistic mounting system there is. Just a little stainless steel anchor that's pushed in from the rear of the handguard to where you attach, um, you know, rail sections, bipods, whatever to. Uh, where you don't have to have the complexity of even M-Lock. And it doesn't have to be as thick. So even with the stainless steel components, you can make it lighter and much stronger than M-Lock. Um, so anyway, Remington just, you know, the whole proposal fell on deaf ears. You know, we made the guns for the military, but, you know, big whoop. Um, so fast forward, um, I'm thrown out of advanced armament. Uh, Ethan comes back to SIG. I come to SIG, and it's a project that I want to do because I actually brought and hired um, someone who was involved in that program with SOCOM uh, to come work at SIG and wanted to do the next generation of the MSR rifle, but for commercial and military use at SIG. Um, you know, SIG is, sort, is, is an awesome company and is a great handgun company, but have made so many dumbass decisions as a rifle company. I mean, it's really like fucking painful sometimes. You know, the MSR rifle was awesome. It was going to be like Honey Badger 2.0, and then Ron Cohen, the CEO, puts an industrial designer in charge of engineering, which I love industrial designers. They're important, but they shouldn't be in charge of engineering. So, you know, like the first MSR rifles, and some of you may remember that came out, uh, had an auto-regulating gas valve that all had to be recalled. Uh, this guy was also in charge of the XI rifle, which was another huge debacle and disaster from SIG. Um, so I think Ron didn't have super confidence in the rifle side of things at the time. You know, we later went on to do the 716 G2 and won military contracts with that, and he started to listen to us. Um, but I wanted to do this gun for SIG, and I did a proposal to Ron that was just like I did at... Um, Remington, and um, 
the guys that I brought to Remington and that I hired from the military were there and they were in agreements and we were all at SIG together and Ethan, but you know, Ron just couldn't get down with it that much. And then he kind of got excited about it. But then, you know, the owners is two German guys that own SIG and they own several other gun companies like Blauser. And they wanted us to bring the sour rifle to the commercial market here. And so that kind of squashed the whole idea of us doing our own gun. Um, and so then we started, so, so this went on for about 10 years. We wanted to do this rifle. And so when we left SIG and formed Q, that's how the fix became the first gun. And you know, one downside was it took 10 years for us to get there. Uh, the upside is we learned a lot along the way. Even from the 716 G2 at SIG, we learned things that made the fix better. We learned things about chassis along the way. Uh, you, you know, like the, the MSR chassis is, is um, the Rax chassis from Remington is awesome, but they made it super heavy because they made it do all these things that were unnecessary and this was so calm. So it had to pass a lot of testing that's not necessarily necessary for most people. And then it's overbuilt just to make sure. But like the handguard was super heavy because it was thick enough to do wire routing in it for like lights and lasers and different things, which is unnecessary. So that made the handguard weigh about two pounds more than it needed to. Um, you know, maybe for SOCOM that was great, but for the commercial market it was unnecessary. Um, over time we took a pound out of the buttstock and with those lessons, we incorporated that into the fixed rifle. Um, the hinge was very heavy on that gun, but it was very well done and very good. But we wanted something more simplistic, easier, less expensive to make, lighter, stronger, and we incorporated that into the fix. So we knew when we started Q what the gun was going to be. So we literally had a one-hour meeting, you know, me and two other guys and, you know, our four engineers at the time. And in an hour, the gun was outlined. Within a week, we had a drawing. I still have the drawing. It was at the launch party that we had where I showed the media what we were going to do, and the gun looks just like it. I think I posted it not that long ago, actually, on our social media. Um, but we knew we wanted to do a one-piece receiver or at least wedge the receiver upper and lower together if it had to be two-piece. We knew we didn't want a chassis because chassis adds a lot of weight because your gun just rests in the chassis. We knew we wanted to be like the tub rifle, but be able to operate the rifle with a folding stock, um, meaning a one-piece receiver um, where you, the barrel is like an AR. It has a barrel extension, goes in the front. You can swap barrels. We wanted to bolt um, the bolt body to be uh, ha have bolt heads that you could change out easily for different calibers or size um, case heads. Um, we knew we did not want to use a Remington trigger, which was one of the most important things and one of the greatest features of the fix. So it's the first bolt gun where the whole mechanism is in the bolt body. So the trigger, it's very safe, lightweight, crisp trigger that is, well, it, it's safe, which is the most important thing. And it's very reliable. It's a striker fired system. Um, and, you know, the guys, we really hit a home run with this gun. Um, the gun isn't as cheap to make as I would like, 
but I think the gun, even at the price, is a great value. And you know, it came down to things we were willing to compromise and not compromise. Like people say, oh, it'd be great if you just had like a push button, you could change the barrel that easily. Well, it only takes a couple minutes to really change your barrel anyway. If you wanted to go from like a 16 inch 308 to a 24 inch 65 Creedmoor down to even a, you know, a 12 and a half inch 308 barrel or, or whatever you wanted. Um, but if we made it easier to change the barrels, the things that you lose are accuracy and you gain a bunch of weight. Um, you know, the uh, Magpul Masada rifle, which turned into the ACR, that was a prime example. The barrel was super easy to change, but it makes the gun weigh probably a pound and a half more than it needs to. And the gun's never going to be as accurate. It's very hard to make quick change barrels gun guns very accurate. Like the 240 is a great example of it can be done the you know the the m240 is, is is a very accurate machine gun um and it's a quick change barrel but you know the gun weighs a ton as well um so those are sort the sort of the story of of how and why the fix exists um you know we chose sr25 mags because they're readily available and the focus when we were doing the gun was 6.5 Creedmoor. And Hornady had done such a great job with the ammunition, commercially available ammunition, that why do you need to load it? You know, this isn't a gun for PRS, although you can shoot and people have shot in one PRS with it. Um, this is not, uh, you know, this is a utility gun. It's for hunting. It's for target practice. It's just an all-around great gun. You know, my goal is when I think of my guns and my gun collection, at this point in my life, I don't really collect them anymore, but I use them a lot more, um, is, you know, they're just utility to me. And some of that is even fun shooting. But, you know, where I have a lot of guns, I have three to five guns that get used that I would never get rid of. And... If anybody, if you're into shooting, you're into hunting, target shooting, uh, just anything, like the fix is a gun that you should have in your collection, in the arsenal that you actually use. Um, it's just so versatile. You know, we wanted a 45-degree bolt throw, and what that means is it's very fast. Uh, you know, the bolt rides, it has... Um, uh, the bolt rides on rails on the receiver, so you can't bind it because it's fully supported even at full draw of the bolt. Um, we wanted the bolt handle to be interchangeable easily. And I know we haven't gotten new ones out yet, but they're coming out to where you can put a big bolt knob on it if you want. But you can change the bolt handle yourself in 10 seconds without having to have it re-soldered or re-welded by a gunsmith. Um, the SR25 mag, again, just because there's commercially available ammo that fits into it. So it's not for everyone's, you know, some, a few of the critics, but no, you should have made it use AI mags. You can get a little longer length so you could load the longest bullets possible. Yeah, you could, but then you're stuck with an AI mag. Um, and they're not readily available. We probably would have had to make our own. Um, and, and most of the aftermarket ones are ship quality. Um, so that was a conscious decision that we made. And we made that, you know, in discussions with some of the military as well and their concerns for ammo if they were interested in the rifle. Um, the SR-20 mags are great. Magpul makes some Knight's Armament. There's lots of good companies. Lancer makes them. Brownells makes them now. And it's very versatile for ammunition. 
Uh, and you can get some bigger capacities if you want, which I kind of think putting 20 rounds in the bolt gun is sort of silly, but a lot of people like it, and that's, you know, good on you, man, if that's what you want. Um, what else with the gun? Like, I like a full-length top rail a lot of times. It depends on the hunting. You know, if I'm out with my buddy Todd Huey in Texas, then the being able to put in-line night vision, you know, the thermal or night vision on is very handy. But I also like just using, if I just have a gun set up for daylight, a short rail, and you can change that out very easily. I love that we have a full diameter handguard, so it's very rigid. You don't get any flex. That helps you a lot when you're loading your bipod. Um, like I noticed that on the Christensen Arms gun that they made that looks like ours, but it's a Remington. They have a carbon fiber handguard. Like I can flex uh, the barrel into the handguard or the handguard into the barrel. Uh, that's not going to help you with accuracy. Um, that's kind of silly. Uh, using AR controls was important to us because, you know, I, I couldn't. I mean, I, I've had a 700 for 30 years. I hunt with them all the time. Like, I never know what's safe and what's uh, fire, so I just don't ever use it. I just put my bolt in the first position so the gun is safe. Um, in case something happened and when I'm, when I'm getting ready to shoot, then I'll just close the bolt handle all the way. So we wanted AR safety and controls, mag release, stuff like that, just for muscle memory, and it's just easy. And so these were important features in the gun. Using an AR pistol grip was important to us. Um, and I think, and I've seen when people tag us in photos on social media, a lot of people change their grip. And I get it, people wouldn't like the little K-grip from Magpul that we put on it, but I like it for that gun. I use the gun primarily for hunting, though. Um, so I'm not as worried about, you know, more vertical, uh, larger diameter grip or anything, although it's cool if you want that. Um, what else with the gun? We just came out with the butt pad. So Ethan designed the button for the um, adjustability for the butt pad for um, up and down. And it's like a Sig Pro mag catch, so it's very easy to change out. Um, and so we're selling full assemblies now for the big butt, uh, a thicker butt pad. But we wanted that. Like, I don't want the bigger butt pad uh, on my rifle, rifle typically, unless we're just going out and shooting, you know, like a few hundred rounds in a day for some reason. Um, I like the thinner, lighter weight, more compact one for hunting. I don't ever notice the shot, so I don't want a bigger butt pad. Um, but we wanted, you know, a, an easy a button where you could change that out pretty easily. Um, so, I mean, there's nothing on the gun that wasn't thought out, that wasn't done for a reason. You know, just like the bolt shroud riding on the rails, you know, carrying the bolt body. Um, what else with the gun? You know, we're able to get the accuracy out of the gun with it being lightweight and being uh, a switch barrel system. Uh, without having to have it be big and heavy chunks of steel, by we we pinch the re the receiver, so we don't have to hand fit everything like your custom seven hundreds that like my buddy you know Jared Joplin American Precision Arms builds. I mean his guns are phenomenal, but you know it takes a week of his life for him to build you a gun, and that's why they're six or seven grand or whatever they are, um, and <laughs> he should charge more honestly. I tell him that all the time. But, you know, we're able to take up the tolerances by using, you know, Q-certs and a pinch screw to, once you slide your barrel in, to pinch it to take up all the tolerance around it. So, you, you know, we've even done testing where we shoot without the barrel nut before, and the barrel, the, the pinch holds the barrels in place. 
Um, we have M-Lock handguards available, different lengths of handguards. So the gun is, is just like practically modular. We didn't go over the top trying to make it modular in a goofy ass way and make the gun heavy. Like we, we made a priority list and we stayed true to it. Um, lightweight gun, we wanted it six pounds. We wanted uh, folding stock. We wanted AR controls. This gun also did not get a dust cover and I've grown to hate dust covers. I mean, I think for certain environments, the dust covers are important. And, um, you know, for the military and stuff like that, but not for the commercial gun. They're just a pain in the ass. Good morning. It's the drive-in to Q. Um, so this morning, I want to discuss the AK-47. Well, mostly. Well, let's just broaden this. All of the awesome battle rifles. And that's what I'm going to call them. And you internet dorks can... I don't know. Send your message about intermediate and assault rifle and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, go screw yourself. Um, so, I have a, a pretty big gun and machine gun collection. Um, you know, that I started 28 years ago. And so I've got most guns in it. I've shot guns a lot compared to most owners, and especially the machine guns. I was very, very interested in machine guns for a long time, and especially the belt feds and stuff. But we'll keep this to the rifles. And it used to be really cheap to shoot because you could get foreign military surplus ammo. So like AK ammo was six cents around. Five five six would be ten to eleven cents around. Seven six two would be twelve cents around. Um, for good quality stuff, you know, eight millimeter you could get for four cents around. Um, 303 was also cheap. I don't remember what I paid for that, but it was inexpensive. So I would buy a pallet of ammo for a particular gun or two or three, whatever I had in that caliber, and then shoot it generally, and then run out of ammo and buy other ammo because it was just always available. So you didn't have to worry about all this zombie apocalypse store your ammo Armageddon bullshit. Um, back then uh and and somebody saying see i wish you would have bought you wish you would have bought more ammo well i mean i did buy a fair amount i've got a couple of containers full of ammo still um but you know it's just not as fun to shoot it now i mean i've shot all the stuff and you know my life's just kind of gone in a different direction so has my business um so i don't need it for that purpose and it's Knowing that you have to replace the ammo and pay a lot more money for it, it's just not quite as interesting. Um, with that said, I love the AK. I love the idea. You know, it was a relatively poor country. They came up with a gun that was inexpensive to manufacture, but it also has limitations as far as, as you know, accessorizing, refurbishing, caliber change, whatever the situation with the AK. But that wasn't the intended purpose. Um, so I'm not knocking the design for what us Americans want commercially. It's, it's just stuff that I like about the AK. You can, it's cheap, which that's freaking great. The gun is compact. That's wonderful. Um, 
it's reliable, as everyone knows, and all the stupid stories that I'm so sick of the Vietnam vets talking to me about with the AK-4. Like, I fucking know, all right? So save your DMs. I get it. I know. But I do like several things about the AK. I don't like the trigger. It sucks. I don't like having to install the trigger group. That sucks. But the gun was meant to be made at a factory by essentially slaves and then distributed en masse and work as a, a, a rifle for war. And for that, it is fantastic. Um, you know, it's easy, it's so easy to use. You can see, you know, all the illiterates all over the world using it. Uh, but I hate the trigger. I like you can fold the stock. Now, electro optics and things are, are, are so commonplace. AK scope mounts suck. They suck so bad that you have to mount it on the side in a freaking cradle and have it go over the top um, like a <laughs> Sylvester Stallone movie, which was equally as terrible. Um, it's stupid. Your sight radius sucks, but I like that they had the one-piece receiver and the trunnion and the, the barrel, but then you can't change the barrel. You can't change the caliber very easily. Top cover pops off, exposes all the guts. That's real handy, unless you want to mount a scope or you want to put your sights in the right place. And then I know, the Valmet, they put the sights on the rear. Well, the top cover moves all around. That's dumb. Um, so, I do not like those things about the AK. The AK is also loud, and the bolt velocity is hauling ass with that gun. Um, and, and there's no real easy way to adjust it. Um, you know, it just vents gas everywhere, which is good for reliability and keeping the gun clean and whatnot. But it uh, makes it very loud, and now subsonic ammo and silencers are a thing. Um, so, you know, what would be a perfect solution? You know, the AR sucks because you can't fold stock. And don't send me any law tactical links. Like, I get it, but that's just silly. You can't shoot the gun with the stock folded. Um, so it's like having your gun taken down but in your backpack. Like, I, I don't know. I'm sure it works great for a lot of you guys. It's just not my thing, making it bigger and heavier and uh, the potential to have uh, catastrophic failure or incredible reliability issues. I'm just not down with that. Um, now, like I said, I'm sure it's a, it's a good product, works good for a lot of you guys. Not my thing. SIG had the opportunity with the MCX to combine these two guns and make something wonderful. And in... Really, it's probably more along the lines of the AR-18, which was Stoner's sort of answer to these issues with the AR-15 and then, you know, some benefits of the AK-47. You know, uh, the side-folding stock was great, where most of the AKs for a long time were under-folders, and that's stupid. Um, the side-folder was cool, but the MCX, SIG just ended up blowing it too, trying to do auto-regulating gas valves, making the gun ridiculously heavy like why would you make it heavier than what it's supposed to replace like that is so stupid it's not like technology's gotten worse um the ar trigger is superior and that was pretty cool that they used that um you know sig should have just stuck to the basics fix the things that are wrong but you always get some engineer that wants to do all these new things and get his name on patents and like you know, evolving stuff is generally just as or more important than inventing a new technology. Inventing a new technology sometimes 
you know, it, the timing is bad. Sometimes it's too costly. Sometimes it's too forward thinking for the, you know, the herd of sheep that are out there. Um, you know, I would say straight pull is a, an example of that. Um, so they had every opportunity and just blew it. And, you know, I'm sure SIG sells a lot of them, but it's a drop in the bucket for AR-15 compared to AR-15s. Um, now, I like AKs. I have a bunch of AKs. I don't shoot them that much. They're not as fun to shoot. I've got all the little crink-off variants. I've got the Yugoslavian variant. I've got a Korean one. I've got a Russian one. I've got an Egyptian one. I've got all the different ones. Um, they're cool. I love it. It's a sexy gun. I love the way it looks. I don't like shooting it. The ergonomics are so... Jesus Christ, the ergonomics is are, are just insanely ridiculously terrible uh on the ak and i i know all, all of you um instagram heroes that shoot real fast can manipulate the gun real quick and you're badass and if there were a die hard five you guys would dominate um but who cares I also really like the FAL, and the FAL is a cool gun, and they did some things differently, but it still suffers from a few of, you know, the, the issues with the AK-47. But you can fold the stock on, uh, you know, the paratrooper version Version folds the stock. Uh, mounting a scope is ridiculous with that gun as well. Um, the gun for a 308 was compact, uh, relatively lightweight, um, could be done better. I like the FAL magazine pretty well. Uh, and I know there's, there's two versions. Got it, guys. Um, that gun is cool. It was ahead of its time. There are some issues, though, when it comes to building a modern gun. The ergonomics are good. They're not fantastic. They're better than the AK. Um, the gun is heavier than necessary, although it's lighter than a lot of its contemporaries. Um, it was ingenious the, the way they were able to build the paratrooper and have the folding stock when the gun traditionally you couldn't fold the stock. Um, ergo, some of the ergonomics are really good on the gun, but some they missed. Not being able to mount an optic to it and the way they vent the gas are, are problems to me. And then the pistons in general. You know, having a big piston gun, it dictates... Um, the size barrel you can have, it dictates the length barrels that you can have. Um, it's generally not helpful for accuracy having moving parts over the barrel. So that's a problem. Um, the G3 is another gun that is very interesting to me, but the roller delay blowback, it was a cool idea, but it's ridiculous and it's delicate. It's not incredibly reliable. It's very expensive to make. And then doing those guns out of stamped halves welded together. There's better ways to probably do it now. I actually like where the charging handle is on the G3. I think it's cool. The sights are great on the G3, the iron sights. And the HK claw mount was a cool idea, which I like pretty well, although it gets pretty heavy. Um, you know, and with that gun, you could also have a folding stock or a fixed stock. You, you know, you had options with that. Uh, which are really cool and they did the retractable like the mp5 but it's small oh my god it sucks to shoot but i think the idea it's round on the bottom was to be able to use it you know with rifle grenades as a as a mortar <coughs> i mean 
I don't know that for certain, but that's the explanation I can come up with and the only thing that seems reasonable. Um, but then they made all the stock and all these things out of uh, these steel components and the gun got very heavy. Um, it is a good magazine. It's a complicated magazine that's fairly heavy, but the magazine works well. And of course, the Germans did a lot of good things. You know, the chrome plated followers and stuff like this were, were a nice touch. Um, overall, the AK is a good gun, but it's just nostalgic. It's like, I really love big block, you know, 60s Corvettes. And well, I love the 63 vet as well. It's, it's a classic and it's so cool but it doesn't compare to something modern. It's not something you want to drive every day. And I just sort of view the AK like that. It's a cool piece of history. Um, it changed lots of things in firearms. It's probably the most produced gun in the world, I would assume, uh, rifle at least. Um, but it's outdated and it's not something that we need to look at. And, and I bring this up because I get you know, some DMs every time one of these cool AK companies comes out with a new gun. It's like, oh, you guys should do an AK. It's like, no, that's what other people do. And it's been done. And it's nothing interesting to me. Not to say I'm not interested in AKs, but I'm not interested in building one. Seems silly. Like, you know, I've got six of the best engineers in our entire industry. Um, I mean, look at the fix. Look at what we did there in six months. Um, I want to do the next generation gun. I want to do the next generation of the Honey Badger. I want to do what the MCX or Virtus or whatever their goofy-ass marketing department wants to call it now, the Cane Snake, whatever, a can opener. I don't, I don't know what they call it, but uh, I want to do the next generation of that gun um, that is the next widely accepted gun to replace the AR, you know, like they thought the Scar was going to do it. And the Scar Heavy was a cool gun as well. Um, but they blew it too. The Scar Light is just not an improvement over the AR in, in most ways. You can fold the stock. That's about it. But they put a big ass, heavy, clunky plastic stock on it. So it makes that kind of sucks balls. And just the parts commonality that they tried to meet. I mean, that was, so, you know, if SOCOM was driving that, which they were, that was a mistake on their part. The parts commonality between the two guns and not understanding what a sacrifice it would be with the scar light and the scar heavy, you make the scar light too big and heavy and you make the scar heavy, you can't have a heavy barrel on it. Um, you know, there's just other sacrifices with the gun. I don't like the gas piston system because um, then they wanted one gas block and that restricts the diameters, uh, diameter of the barrels. Um, just a lot of goofy shit like that. Um, I like the idea of the extruded receiver and even the plastic lower. To me, I think it gets some hate, but I don't hate it. It seems smart. Uh, the plastic stock and hinge, I'm not totally down with. Um, but the gun in a 308 shoots well. Like I, I like the Scar Heavy. I'm not a hater of it. I, I and FN is actually a pretty brilliant company, and um, the lead engineer on that is a smart guy. And I worked with him for a, a few years um, on aspects of that project and some other things. And he he's he's good he did the um funny he did the fn i don't i don't know the p90 and that other gun the fs2000 or whatever but he did the p90 and he was in my office one day and i had it in a steyr aug in the office and with the steyr aug those of you that are familiar with it it's pretty cool you push the butt plate in and that the takedown pin is also like a sling swivel stud 
and the P90 doesn't have that. But I, I was I had the guns sit next to each other, and I said, "Hey, Benoit, the uh, your uh, P90 sure does look like the Steyr Aug." Just kind of giving him some shit, and uh, he looks at me and he says, "Well, it should. I copied it," <laughs> and he just straight up said it. And he says, "You know." They, all, they patented the takedown, so we couldn't use the same takedown that they had. So I just changed that. But he's like, we needed a bullpup gun, and they did a great job. Why would I change it? And I just thought that was so cool and refreshing, and that he didn't have an ego like that. He just, like, looked at it. There needed to be a bullpup. And he redid the magazine, as you know, on the P90 and all that stuff. But the gun and the way it operates and is laid out, he's like, you know, there's only so many ways to do a bullpup, and they actually did a really great job. So there was no sense in me spending years of my life trying to do something a little bit better, and maybe I could, maybe I couldn't. Um, so that's an interesting little tidbit history. And he also told me, and this is probably on the 5.7 forums, if anyone cares about that shit, but... Uh, the original ammo, like they can't have two, two, three and stuff in Europe, five, five, six. So they, that's why they named it five, seven and not five, five, six, but they pulled, um, I think it, it was M eight, five, five bullets and they loaded into the shorter cases and all the first guns, that's what they were tested. And that's the ammo that they had available. Um, that's what it was. And the first ones actually, I think had a longer case. The one first ones that they built and shipped to like, um, Saudi Arabia. And I think they had to go and change them all out eventually, like 40,000 of them, um, because it ended up not being what the cartridge was, 5 by 7 by 28 Maybe it was 5 by 7 by 32 or something at the time. It was a little different. Um, so anyway, I digress. That's the story of that. So, um, yes, I like AKs. They have some big issues with modern shooting. Um, no, we would not be making AK-47s. I want to do a gas gun that combines the incredible attributes of the AR series, the stoner guns, and then also the Kalashnikov and some other guns. There's things I like about the SCAR. There's things I like about the FAL. There's things I like about uh, the G3 and, and several other guns. Um, you know, there's a lot of things I like about the Stoner 63, which I've got one of those. And if you guys have never seen that gun, spend some time looking at it online or get a small arms of the world or whatever and uh, look up the Stoner 63, the machine gun. It's a, it's a system that you can convert to a Bren feed, which means a top magazine feed, a standard magazine feed, like solenoid remote fire, belt fed, right, left hand belt fed. I mean, it's just so freaking cool. And the gun is so compact and lightweight, and it's wonderful. And it's the most, well, it's not by a long shot the most expensive gun I purchased. The most expensive gun I ever purchased was the FG-42. And at the time, it was right over 100000 And um, I don't know, it's worth probably several hundred thousand at this point. But the most expensive in 1997 that I had ever purchased was $21,000 I bought. Um, a Cadillac Gauge Stoner 63A with um, the Bren configuration, the rifle configuration, and the left-hand feed belt-fed configuration. And at the time, the house that I lived in was only $80,000. So to put it in perspective, um, you know, 25% of the cost of the house I was living in. Um, 
but I've shot tens of thousands of rounds through the gun. I love it. I've got a shitload of spare parts for it, and it's a great gun, and I don't see ever selling that gun. And it, it, the gun is so neat because it's Stoner was just so ahead of his time with thinking compact, lightweight, nothing more than you needed. Um, ultimately, the Stoner 63A was not a success. The SEALs used it in Vietnam. Um, I think it was viewed as probably not necessary and having so many configurations it did there were some weak points on the gun um, as far as design I think trying to do too many things but I think it was just really way ahead of its time um, you know it's at the time you know we also did the the AR-18 which was an incredible gun and turned out not to be wildly successful but arguably you know a better gun than the AR um, it addresses a lot of the shortcomings, and it's an awesome gun. So anyway, that's it. Thanks for listening.